Hey, you're listening to the Sub Club Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing subscription app businesses. We'll share insider secrets from the top subscription apps on the app stores. Let's get into the show. Hello, I'm your host, David Bernard, and with me as always, Jacob Eiding, Revenue Cat CEO. Our guest today is Matt Weef, co-founder and CEO at PhotoRoom, the app for removing backgrounds and creating studio quality photos right from your phone. On the podcast, we talk with Matt about how his time at GoPro led to founding PhotoRoom, how churn can actually be an asset, and how being locked in Apple's basement led to one of PhotoRoom's biggest marketing wins. Hey, Matt. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. How are you doing? Great. Hey, David. Hey, Jacob. Hi. It's nice to, uh, it's nice to finally meet uh, internet virtual face-to-face. We've known each other for a little while. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's it's been you've been one of these uh, these people I've become fortunate to know, kind of through Revenue Cap, but not actually know no. <laughs> so it's nice <laughs> yeah, to exactly. finally uh, put a put a face to the name. I was uh, I was looking back through my email, and I think the first I ever heard from you was through our mutual Francisco, if I said that correctly. Yeah, Francisco. Francisco. Uh, uh, who, uh, yeah, shared me a blog post that I had seen that you wrote where you talked about revenue cat as part of your stack. And then, uh, yeah, since then, I think we, we talked as you were thinking about going into YC and then, uh, after YC, I put in a little bit of money. So this was a a good opportunity to check in on my investment. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I'm super excited to, 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 to dive in. Cause there's a lot of questions like, I, I kind of have followed you guys. I've kind of seen some of the stuff you've been doing, but I don't know like the behind the scenes decision-making processes and like, uh, and all that stuff. So yeah, I'm excited to, to hear the story firsthand. Yeah. But before we get into the photo room, um, you've got quite a history in app development. So I wanted to, to kind of go back to the beginning and uh, talk war stories. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people weren't in the industry way back when. Jacob and I both started really early as well. So so you got your start during the Stanford class, and you were actually um, a teaching assistant at Stanford at the time, right? I, I'm kind of stealing your story, but yeah, tell me, tell me how you got into into app development. Yeah, definitely. I was actually I was a teaching assistant in physics. I was doing a master in physics at Stanford right at the moment of the first iPhone class, and uh, I actually went went to Stanford like because I was fascinated by the entrepreneurship and. Uh, and I had like this business idea of printing photos and sending them, and that seemed a lot easier not to buy a hardware, but just use the iPhone that just started at that point. So I was at Stanford, there was the iPhone class. I wanted to do a, a photo app. So see, 12 years later. <laughs> 12 year overnight success, you know? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what they say, <laughs> exactly. And uh, yeah, I, I got, I st- actually I got started uh, programming. I was uh, doing physics before with this iPhone class. I didn't know anything about programming before. So I took the class with a friend that went to basic and I just wanted to push product and app and uh, iPhone development was the best at that point. So that was how it gets started. And actually the, the, uh, the photo app became something else. Uh, the first company I started back uh, still at grad school and uh, it became like a ski resort app uh, that I, yeah, I shipped. Like, we had all the major ski resort, like uh, you know, mm. speed and uh, and uh, um, yeah, the shops that you have. And uh, it was like uh, it was a great. Uh, I did that for two years, and we had major ski resorts. And uh, yeah, I started other 
apps company after that. Uh, one called Hey Crowd around a social network. So like we had a kind of a, a, a surveys that you could answer to with uh, polls, like a, a bit like Instagram uh, stories now. And that didn't work so well compared to the ski resort. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I got into iPhone apps right, uh, right since the beginning. I remember That's the Stanford awesome. course. It was, it was on iTunes U, right? That, 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 that was mass disseminated or was it the later one? Yeah, exactly. No, it was the one, uh, it was on Stanford U. There was uh, the guy from um, uh, Flipboard doing the class. Yep. I don't know if he was doing that. And uh, uh, the music uh, app, uh, what's the name again? Was it yeah, Smule, could, like, maybe? Yeah, Smule, Smule was yeah. The, giving was one of the class. Yeah, I remember um, I remember it being like the moment when we were like, when I, I remember being like, oh, this is going to go mainstream, right? Like, Because up to that point, you had to learn iOS by doing basically Mac OS, right? That was yeah. like the one point there was the big nerd ranch book. You learned Mac OS and then the SDKs came and you like tried to learn quickly, like what worked and what didn't. But if you were like me who came from no programming or nah, not, no programming, but, uh, uh, no Mac programming, right. There was really no like iPhone entry into it. Um, and, and then I remember the Stanford course came out, it was like one year too late for me. Cause like at that point I heard he'd done a lot of stuff, but it was still yeah. really great. <laughs> I still watched the whole thing. I remember, remember, um, remember watching it. Um, but that's interesting. We have the same path. I don't know if we ever talked about this, but I was a studied physics in undergrad as well. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't go to Stanford. Cause I didn't want to, you know, um, but, uh, I went to a small state school instead just cause uh, you know, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I get kind of similar story where like I was in, I wasn't in grad school, but I was physics undergrad. Didn't really know what I wanted to do. I really loved physics and the math and all that stuff. But like, I'm, you know, there's a stronger economic pool. Let's put it that way to work on apps. Uh, yeah. and that was the same story for me. Like took a little bit of what I had learned writing code for experiments and things like this. And then, kind of started making apps and then, yeah, the rest was history. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the interaction to physics is like how fast it applies to the real world from science to real world. And you don't find that in a, like a physics job where you mm -hmm. kind of find that back in a, like a software development where you like resolve a math problem or computer science problem and you can directly apply it to real users. Yeah. Or like even with business modeling and stuff too, you know, you think about yeah. how a business moves and like what, number moves this number and there's no physics there. You're not approximating a physical system, but some of the same principles apply, right? You're like trying to find some laws that are underlying it and, and work from there. So yeah, I found it hasn't been terribly unrelevant, but, uh, but yeah, that's interesting. What else, well, what else do we have in common? Let's keep going. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> well, actually I, I want to jump in. I want to get to photo room. So we're actually going to skip over there. You, you've done a lot in apps. So after after that, you went to Replay, and Replay was like on stage at a keynote. And you're yeah. the co-founders that you were working with. You know, as as you joked before we started recording, spent a month in the basement at Apple, as everyone does before a keynote. But then you ended up at, at GoPro working on imaging. Um, so just tell me about that leaving GoPro. I mean, you know, great company, done a lot of innovative stuff. Um, but tell me about leaving to start uh, a photo room and what the inspiration, I guess we've heard part of it, you, you, 12 years of working on uh, imaging and wanting to build a photo app. But yeah, tell me about the founding of, uh, of photo room. Yeah, I, I, um, so GoPro is like an amazing company, but it's more marketing and adware. And uh, I, I want, really wanted to, I grew a bit frustrated about like how we, we could uh, do better software. And uh, yeah, a few frustration from that. I, as a product, I was product manager by them. So I, I was like frustrated with the design tool, like uh, Photoshop and 
And uh, you kind of have to move to, by that time you had to move to California to move the stuff. And I was based in, in Paris and uh, decided to stay there with the family. And, and kind of we had a, an amazing uh, machine learning team at GoPro in Paris, but it's really difficult to, to change the paradigm of a uh, kind of a software, like uh, if it works from a kind of more deterministic uh, way. So I kind of realized that it's really tough to ship a new software with new paradigm and with machine learning inside. So I thought there was a big opportunity with, I mean, the new, new hardware coming on the iPhone for machine learning, the new, the new, uh, yeah, this new kind of way of thinking about software. And, uh, I left the GoPro to start a company and with these ideas in mind. And I also, at that time, I realized that there was, um, a lot of apps, you know, like you, after 10 years on the app store, you kind of know the tricks of the app store. And I knew there were a lot of apps in the top of the photo apps that were around eraser and background eraser. I realized like, okay, if they're just kind of, uh, you know, I, I say scam, but it's not really scam, but all these apps that are built quickly, there must be some demand around it. And so that's uh, how I started with the background remover idea. Like uh, I saw that uh, there was a machine learning team uh, at GoPro that there was some background removal uh, paper and all that. And okay, there must be some demand. Let's ship something quickly and see how it goes. And that's kind of the nice thing of like 10 years of uh, app development, you know, the right tool to go fast and yeah. just shipped a prototype in yeah, two weeks, uh, uh, with, uh, actually with Roving Cat, uh, by then I have a blog post on like the 10 tools I, I use there and, uh, and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it went super fast, super fast to the store and, uh, with some machine learning and, uh, on device machine learning by then. So it was, uh, and it kind of got caught up. Like you tried a dozen ideas and some kind of stay on the wall and some like don't, and this stay on the wall. So at the time it was called BG app background app, right? Um, was the focus initially, did you have like a big scope for it or was that your entry? You were like, Hey, I know that they, there's these photo apps that kind of suck that are doing this background thing. I think we can do it better and like let's see where it goes from there or did you have like uh bigger plans or, or longer term aspirations i think there was a an understanding that people kind of needed that and the tech tech was 10x better as they say so it was really interesting but i, I didn't i mean we didn't have the full plan for that like uh, it's really uh, a few months in a few, that we understood with uh, elliot the kind of the market fit and we understood also like uh, this idea of uh we call that like uh, we translate pixels into concept that makes it much easier to 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 edit. So Photoroom is uh, the best uh, photo editor for entrepreneurs, and the idea is that instead of using mask and layers and pixels, you just like uh, the machine learning understand what are the the pixels and they just tell you okay it's a cat. So we call a cat a cat. You tap on the cat and you should have actions that are relevant to to a cat, like changing the fur color uh, if it's a if it's a piece of clothing, it should be the texture of the clothing. If it's a, if it's a kind of graphics change of color, you know, kind of, it makes it much more accessible than what exists, like a 10 years of 20 years, uh, software that exists for, for photo editing. So, so yeah, I mean, I think that sounds like a very much a pitch and a story that somebody would be taught at Y Combinator. So I'm curious, like, <laughs> I'm curious, like, how did that evolve? Like, how, so you, yeah. you, you guys launched the app in, I remember us talking in like the spring of 2019. Yeah, like May 2019, exactly. And then you started YC in the fall or, or in the winter, I guess? No, we actually, so we started YC in the following summer. We were okay. uh, supposed to do the winter batch after that, so seven months later. And uh, we we couldn't because of visa issues. Uh, like uh, at some, uh, with the family, I couldn't move to, to, <laughs> well, to YC. Well, I'm going to tell you, there's one way to solve that problem. A yeah. global COVID. pandemic. <laughs> yeah, <that's> the <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's uh, exactly. So we 
So how did it evolve? I think we shipped super fast with Elliot, my co-founder, who is like a, like a machine learning genius. Uh, and we follow early on the YC, the startup school, which is kind of the mm -hmm. uh, first step to, to YC. And, um, and so what does it help you? It kind of, uh, you measure the, um, yeah, the progress. So uh, how much customer are you talking to? Uh, how, much, uh, how much money you made? And uh, how happy you are doing what you do? And so that's was kind of how we iterated for you, you were doing months. that during during startup school or yeah, that startup school kind of asks you every every week uh, uh, this question and you make sure you make progress on that. And I think these are the right questions to make progress yeah, in yeah. business. And it was kind of, kind of natural uh, like three months later. So we started in May, May June on that uh, application for YC were probably in September. Yeah. So so we did like all summer we did the startup school scheme and framework and made some progress on that and we got the. The YC application in September and the interviews actually in Paris uh, in uh, in uh, I think November. And then uh, ha had you, I guess, like uh, your your aspirations or your reasons for applying, I guess, are in some way self evident to somebody who's you know obviously you don't need to convince me, but for the listeners, like what was your <laughs> yeah what were your motivations like why did you well I guess for one there's you know I don't know I always hear there's a couple of reasons right like. Sometimes it's prestige, like people want to, the prestige of YC. Sometimes it's it's the help, which I honestly think is the the, the best reason because I you know it's it was honestly really good for us. But then there's also like you know it's it's a great way to springboard a venture backed thing, right? As well. So like, did you have like strong reasons? Was it all of the above, or what was the motivation for for getting on the the venture uh, <laughs> uh, roller coaster? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I think number one reason was uh, ambition. Uh, I think like a uh, lot of European startups, uh, it's changing, but are uh, not uh, can be not ambitious enough. And I think if you're ambitious, like YC is really a way of uh, of uh, taking the ambitious path, like uh, the how to make a, like a, a business and a product that has a strong impact, like on a very large number of people. So that was that would be my number one reason. Um, I think then it's kind of the learning. Uh, we're at the beginning of the company. We sit with Elliot, and what's what kind of is the most important, you know, for the culture. We talked about it also. And uh, one thing we really value is learning fast. And I think YC kind of uh, helps you leapfrog a lot of like you learn so much faster because you have the right contact. So it's I mean it's from the it's from the partners. Like every time we have a office hour, almost every time, like we are wow, blown away. Uh, there is like also help us like get the right investors. Uh, I mean, on the revenue, uh, on like mobile subscription, uh, like, uh, yeah, like you, like Olga from Blinkist, like, uh, someone from, uh, John from Spotify. So that's really helpful. And also extra connection. Like we have uh, in AI, we have the VP of AI, Ian of Facebook, and I mm. don't think we could reach this network with, uh, without YC. Yeah. The network thing is depends on, you know, what your background is. Obviously you had been in the peninsula, but still it's hard to be really deeply networked and still it's hard to like invest in your engineering skills, right. And like your IC skills and invest in a network at the same time, <laughs> which was kind of my world. Like I had an okay network, but like it wasn't super well networked. So YC was like a big like boost to that, right. You could get intros to people. You could get a little bit of, it's still a, a who you know game silicon valley is still some uh, in a lot of ways or the broader concept before we move on i wanted to talk just a little bit more about the about the ambition of photo room because and, and this is something i think is would be really relevant to a lot of our our listeners who are uh are building apps in the space and and i as an indie indie developer for 12 13 years 
feel like I, I've 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 worked too much with with blinders on, not thinking about the bigger opportunity. So like the first app I launched was TripCubby. It was a mileage log tracking app um, to get reimbursements for, from taxes or get reimbursed from your company uh, for your mileage. And I just I treated it like a little tiny indie business, lifestyle business, and everything else. Meanwhile, um, uh, Mile IQ, Mile IQ built a huge business. Probably launched about the same time, right? I would, I would think. Uh, no, they launched much later, actually. Oh, really? Which even again, it's like I had a multi-year lead as kind of the app to do that. Assuming <laughs> the market was there, like my like you probably came when the market was finally there. But was starting to still, grow, yeah. but yeah. yeah. But what's so cool is that I, I think there's so many opportunities in the app store that people overlook that seem really niche. Like you just started out replacing backgrounds and photos and now you're going to be the next generation Photoshop. Is that a good one? Is that a good pitch? I don't know what the official yeah, pitch is. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. What What's the ambition that went that took you from okay, we can replace background images to this is could be a huge business because we're unbundling one of the like key parts of Photoshop, which is a massive business. So what 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 is the what was the ambition and what is the ambition that you feel that this this can be such a big business. Yeah, how did you how did you convince yourself of that the ability to do that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing. I, I think it's um, well. First, like working on photo video editor, like uh, I realized that I mean, video is big. Like we got, I think with FreePlay, then named Quick by GoPro, we got to one hundred million downloads. It's kind of tell you like, and most people they were still using like photo collage, so everyone's working on photo, and video is too complex for most people, so. Like if you get 100 million for a video, then it's probably like any good like uh, product improvement, like 10x product improvement on photo must get like 1 billion users. And I think it's like, that's one of the YC motto, but it was really starting from a pain point of myself, like creating the assets for actually for the app store, like you have to create a PSD. And I was like, you spend so much time on non-creative tasks. And I was like, uh, I, I, I want to make that much simpler. And I think the big ha moment was kind of talking to the user. So, uh, and also like talking, yeah, talking to people, like we kind of build in the open and people told us like, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's like, a, actually it's like programming. Like uh, you, instead of you're, you're doing like a object oriented um, editing, like uh, you understand what kind of object you have and you make actions that are relevant to that. And that's, that's kind of bl blown myself, like uh, blown myself away. Like it's much simpler. Like you have an object and you, you offer to the user what's logic for this object. And it's, Photoshop is such a pain to learn. Like I think everyone yeah. remembers kind of the blown away part of Photoshop, but also the pain it is to understand. And it hasn't gotten easier in 20 years. Like the only now you can paint on a sphere or something. Like there's nothing like new. <laughs> I I still open it and it's comforting because I learned in CS2 or whatever, and it's all still yeah. the same. But like I don't think it's necessarily like I think. I think there's even a broader narrative. See, I'm going to make your your ten billion dollar company a trillion dollar <laughs> company, but I think there's an even broader narrative there around just like the future of software and how machine learning further like narrows the gap between like in software like programming, not in the sen traditional sense, but like telling a computer what to do and the computer telling like asking us or like bringing us like the the things it can do. And you see this in like varying degrees of it working well, right? Like. Um, like Gmail, like suggesting like absolutely insane sounding replies that yeah. I would never say, like, that's kind of that, <laughs> but, but I think that's maybe a little bit too far, but I think what you guys are doing is really great. You know, like segmenting photos, like giving people those tools, like taking, especially for a tool like email, it's like writing. Like, I don't need 
an AI assistant to like say thanks. Like I can, I got that. <laughs> Thank you, computer. But for 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 yeah, like fiddly stuff, like cutting backgrounds out and like setting up, yeah, you know, just building like um, things that to a human because we're so visual in the way we think seem really basic, right? Like I want the cat in front of a blue background, right? Like that seems like yeah. just tell the computer and it can do that. Right now with the existing tooling, it's like very manual and very skills driven, and you guys are bridging that gap. So like. Yeah, who knows? I, mean, I don't know. Maybe photos aren't the end of it for you guys. Maybe next you just start tackling the next software domain, right? Uh, uh, you know, I don't know. Then we'll get to 10 billion first and then we'll worry about the trillion dollar. <laughs> and that's one really magical thing about your app and your onboarding that I, I wanted to, to, to ask you about. So exactly what Jacob was saying, when I think of removing a background and I've worked in Photoshop literally since the 90s, uh, late 90s, I'm old. Um, <clears throat> But it's, it, I've tried that like a hundred different times. And even in the most modern Photoshop, I don't even know how to do it. I expect it to be a chore. I downloaded Photo Room and in like three taps, your onboarding is magical because you don't get in the way of the person having a desire to get something done and then <clears throat> seeing it happen. So in like three taps from opening the app, I see a background removed and it was just like <laughs> instant, like mind blowing experience it's a really good onboarding. of this thing that like I know is so hard. And I think of needing professional tools and needing to be a professional to even figure it out. It just happens magically after three or four taps in your app. Like was that, I assume that was very intentional. Did you have different onboardings before and kind of iterate to that point or what led you to just, such a focused get the person to that moment yeah that's a good question uh, so we did a lot of user interview i think uh we like every especially in the beginning every week we would go to mcdonald's and pay a, a meal to student or anyone and, like the tagline for mcdonald's in france is come everyone can come in and uh, come as you are so we really met like tourists students professionals and like doing user interview we got so frustrated i think that people didn't get to the step of removing background that we kind of like. Oh, so you would give them an unlogged out, like a, a brand new device and like watch them go through onboarding? We would like pay the meal in exchange for downloading the app. We would like first ask three, four questions about their photo usage on their, on their phone and then uh, kind of ask them to download the app and yeah, blindly test the app. And, uh, and we were like kind of sneaking. We just were, we were just iOS at the beginning. So trying to find people with iPhones and not under it. That was tough. But yeah, you, I mean, people usually stop before and they don't understand something and like to build trust with them, we figure out like the best is to show our tech. So how can we get to the point where we actually like have all these people we, that try the app that actually see the, the bag the magic effect of Photoroom and like, so like, uh, taking a white sheet of paper with Elliot microphone and like thinking, how can we do that? And it got to like having that as early as possible in the onboarding. I think that's, that's, uh, that's what happened. Uh, I think I remember now reading about the McDonald's testing in your um, your uh, YC application and being like, yeah, that's the moment I knew these guys were going to make it. <laughs> it's brilliant, right? Like, I, I don't know how much user testing, like real good user testing is if you do it in some sort of like professional context. It's probably really weird and like expensive and like hard. And this is dead simple, super scrappy. And like yeah. people don't do it because... I don't know. Nerds don't like talking to people. Like we don't like, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to put your, your app in front of somebody and see them. Not, it's one thing to read like bad retention numbers on amplitude is another thing to like see somebody actually churn and like, but honestly, yeah. that's the best way to learn. Like it's the best way to like get really actionable feedback. So 
um, I'm sure that was that was super beneficial. Yeah, it's a it's a trick from Zenly. So the uh, social network on Maps, like uh, uh, that, really is a, one of the best uh, app in in Paris. And they and we apply that, and it yeah, it requires some. It's not easy, I must say, but uh, you really learn so much. And the pain today is more like we have more qualified users, so it's really easy in the beginning when you're in the photo apps and people just test the app and everyone has photos, so it's easy to explain. Then you want to like talk to your kind of retained user. It's much difficult to get them at the McDonald's, but now we're friends with yeah. all the vintage shops around the block so in Paris, so we're good. <laughs> so, so that, yeah, that was kind of a question I wanted to ask, and I'll just slide it in now. But like, I've noticed... I don't know if you had this intention initially, but it seems like you found a niche even amongst these apps in something I would say commerce or even e-commerce. It seems like a lot of people use these, use your app to take photos of objects to use as like advertising or go on Shopify. Is that is that true in statement or am I just like misreading investor? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's totally true. And actually it's not, I mean, the interesting thing uh, is it came from a personal lead, like using, as you say, Photoshop and uh, wanted it much easier uh, for me, but I wasn't clear who was using this erased background apps. And talking to like user at McDonald's, we realized like there was all these reselling apps, especially in Europe and the US where people, um, yeah, they just like they sell in Poshmark on Vinted in Europe and they there is no app that's focusing on their photo need. Like everyone's doing like selfies or uh, I don't know whatever lens on video you can make, or, uh, but uh, no one's in helping them. And it actually came from the user interview, like, oh, that we, some user told us, like, uh, oh, my girlfriend would love that. She's selling on Depop, and uh, and we kind of like after multiple user asking us in support, uh, asking us, uh, I mean, talking at the user interview at McDonald, we realized that oh, that's the niche that uh, we should kind of focus on. So that's how it came. What what it was that pre YC, like pretty early in the process. No, that was, I mean, it came in a few, uh, uh, just not in one day, but it, I think early after being taken at YC. Uh, okay. Uh, like early 2020. So then my next question, I guess, is like, how do you decide then? So you have a core, strong product. You, you, you might have like varying, this is, and I think this is very common for a lot of apps and companies is like you have probably different levels of product market fit depending on the market, right? So like maybe broadly across all uses of iPhone, your product market fit may not be as strong. But then when you look at this one niche, like maybe it's really strong. And then I think some founders end up in a situation where you have to kind of decide, like, do I want to go for this maybe less fit, broader market, or maybe a tighter market with a stronger fit that I'm starting out with? Did you have that internal conversation? And then did you make an active decision? Like, we're going to focus on this. And then, yeah. And then what's the plan after that? Like, or is that the forever plan? No, it's, uh, uh, I think we, the easy part is as a product guy, I'm really convinced that our usage is, uh, really deep. Like, uh, we're starting from a different Lego brick, like, okay, you don't edit mask or square, uh, pixels, you edit like objects. So, I mean, any app that kind of want to copy that, has, like it has to stop doing what it does today. So, uh, it's kind of the thing that relates to the machine learning understanding pixels in the beginning. So we were confident like digging into this usage and this product paradigm and like product basic block is interesting. And then we decided to focus on the pro usage and, and it's difficult as a founder, you want to serve everyone. At the beginning, we were even doing like video plus photo, like in December, 2019, we dropped the video uh, just for animation. And then we dropped kind of the casual use case to focus on the pro. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's been helpful. Like you're not like giving up on the other users. You, I mean, some of the features they are, they are still going to use it. The other, the casual, the people doing memes from, from the app, but you just like, when you build features, you think about them. 
And I, around that, I think YC is helpful because they tell you, like, if you reach local maxima from one vertical, like product market fit, then you're investing so much on the tech, it gets better than the, all the local maximas are, are adjacent. Like, mm-hmm. you can reach them after and it's not, not a big deal. And kind of believe and believing and trusting that helps you on, uh, on like, a, okay, we're going to focus on this one for, let's say, three months and we see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point in that I think can trip up people early in the process is that you think that making an active choice to close yourself off to part of the market is a mistake because you're like, well, I want to serve everybody or, well, I want to, you know, I want to have the most broad appeal I can because it does, it feels wrong, right, to not serve a a use case. Um, But often, tactically, it's a bad choice because, yeah, in the early days, anything that you have, find any users that love your product, even if it's a small group, there's, it's a, it's a closer step to like get your foot onto that than it is to try to get sustainability on like mediocre product market fit across a broad market. Um, cause then also it makes, yeah, it makes your McDonald's discussions easier. Well, maybe you don't have McDonald's discussions anymore. It makes your product discussions easier. Cause you can say like, okay, these are pile. We're not going to do all this stuff. We're going to focus on this stuff, which gives you more velocity. Um, it's all about like, I just really feel there's so much to getting that velocity early, right? <laughs> like getting something yeah. that's like moving and growing and, and getting fast. And I think that's one of the things, I mean, I don't know, we, I won't, I won't dox you guys on retention numbers and stuff, but you know, when you have a, I'll just say that when you have a pro user base that's using it for something non-casual retention gets easier, right? Like have a reason to come back. And so if you, I mean, there's not that many apps like that, that, that on, it's it's hard, it's hard, it's rare to find mobile apps that have that opportunity. Right. So when it's there, you need to take it. Yeah, definitely. How do you think about pricing for that value creation since since those that kind of pro segment really probably gets a lot more value than you're even currently charging um, because they're actually making money with your product? Like, how did you think through your current pricing and did you iterate to this point from a more kind of consumer pricing to a to a I mean, to me, it feels like you're in the middle still of, of somewhat consumer friendly and really honestly, probably cheap for a professional use case. So how did you land on, on your current pricing? Yeah, to be honest, it's like most of the photo apps. I mean, when we started, maybe it's different. They are like uh, all pricing, like 10 bucks a month. And that's kind of given by, I guess, uh, Spotify, Netflix. Like yeah, it's kind of the, <laughs> the glass ceiling of uh, the price of the subscription, even for prosumer. And uh, and we kind of iterated on the on the yearly from forty bucks to uh, sixty nine bucks uh, in uh, in the US. So we didn't like we kind of landed on that quite early. Uh, you you don't want to alienate the user, especially if you put the upsell in the onboarding, like uh, to be too expensive. I think we have a major opportunity though to like uh, address the more advanced business and the more than one person in a shop. It's just it's really difficult to build this B two B case in an app like you. There are not that many apps that use that in the upsell of the phone. So you probably have to show it like uh, the, the first price uh, to every user. And on the pro, you probably can upgrade them after. Uh, I think it's something we can do later, uh, like focusing on the product for now and making it simple is much easier. Like if you start with two prices, like the support is going to go crazy. We still do the support of the users. So <laughs> that's something we try to maximize for simplicity here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a good point to make, especially too. It depends on... Um... Depends on your casual constraints as well. Just like how much, how extractive you want to be, how much you want to push yeah. it, right? Um, 
because you know when you have good retention like there's an argument argument to be made to not mess that up by because you're raising your price will will hurt your retention right like it's kind of at least on paid right like more expensive it is just people are going to churn more um and if you're compounding your total like paying subscribers, that might be more important than extracting an, ex- an incremental $2 or $10 or whatever from each user, right? It might be better off just to keep them happy and long-term. And that's what makes it, I don't know, pricing just yeah. so complicated. It's about finding that equilibrium to maximize like the long-term area under the curve and not just not just like the individual LTVs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think there was one, yeah, we, you want to talk, like you don't want to be, expensive at the beginning if you're too expensive like one of the really source of feedback was also our support and like if you're too expensive you get less pro and the goal i mean the reason we launched after two weeks with uh with revenue cat was like the feedback from pros is so much more valuable than the, the feedback yeah. from free users and <laughs> i mean you still want people to pay like you start at 100 bucks a month it's going to be like <laughs> there's no way people are going to pay for that so uh, and I was actually talking on Twitter with that, like we actually put forth first the monthly plan because we wanted people to churn and be able to talk to them. So we, there was really a focus on learning from the pros Interesting. In, the early, in the early days. Yeah, I've always... That's I, really smart. Yeah, the the short, I think long, the, the annual subscriptions obviously have a bunch of benefits to, to, to app developers, but you do end up flying blind for a very long time, right? Until you really know what those numbers look like. So if you're on monthly yeah. purely, it does kind of simplify things early on. Um, which is another case to be made for just not overthinking your pricing, like initially, right? Like you guys launched yeah. just with the monthly and it was fine. You added, I don't know when you added an annual product, but you, you brought it in when the time was right. I think the logic also learning from like GoPro and replay days is the pricing is quite elastic. So you double your price, you divide by two, the number of pros, like minus plus 10%. And so, so it doesn't, I mean, it's. I mean, when you get bigger, it's worth doing experiments on pricing, but in the early days, it's worth, it's not worth like taking too much time on that, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's good to know if if you have an elastic curve, it means you're pretty close to to the optimum already. Right. So did you start from day one at that $10 a month price point? I think we were at eight or nine. Uh, That's pretty much like every pro photo pro apps, not like not selfies was at that on the photo. And it's, uh, and I, I think the, the I mean, it comes from Spotify and Netflix. Like everyone's, like, yeah, uh, yeah. it's like if comparing in the support they tell you, comparing you to Spotify or Netflix anyway. So it's, uh, I think it's a good like way to start. And as they increase the price, they increase kind of the time of all the, I mean the the possible LTV of all the apps, which is really good. Thank you. If if they don't take care of it, inflation will. Don't worry. But, <laughs> yeah. but that's just amazing. Two weeks to an MVP that you could charge eight dollars a month for, and people actually paid it. Well, 12, 12 years in two weeks, David. You, you well, right, right, right. No. No, that, that's a great point. But but the point being that there there are still opportunities that w- when you have experience and domain knowledge, that it's not the the programming, it's not the it's not such a monumental task to build something that's really valuable to people in this space on mobile. Yeah. That you can build something good quickly with that experience. The first app was really crappy though. Like I think it, we waited yeah. for a, a few weeks before having all paid first paid users. Gotcha. I did want to talk a little bit about your marketing. So yeah. what did you do at launch? Did did you get a little press? Did you, you know, talk to Apple? How did you get that initial cohort? So yeah, we were super, I mean, Apple has been super supportive to us. I think so 
before GoPro, GoPro acquired Replay. Uh, so Replay was uh, app of the year, same year as uh, Elevate. So oh, were you guys app of the year in France? Is that what the deal was? No. Or? So so I have an account. I put <laughs> out we the were app of the year in the U.S. Which so we didn't. Yeah, we didn't get the else. U.S. We we didn't get the U.S. and North America, and it's kind of a Sorry. private uh, territory. But we got like most of the Europe and and Asia there. And uh, yeah, and uh, I was saying like David before <laughs> the start that. Elevate, which, which are these guys, they're, they're taking the, all the U.S. and we should get that. <laughs> it was good for you that we hadn't localized, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. <laughs> that was the thing. We were like only English at the time. Well, Elevate is such a difficult business to localize. So I think it's uh, like photo video is easy to yeah. localize. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and so we got like, we got the keynote. So, and we kind of, I mean, the app was really good at marketing through uh, using the latest technology of uh, Apple in uh, like the metal and using the latest GPU, and I kind of build the relationship from there with the Apple team and also like learning all. That's kind of the narrative of Apple, like to showcase apps that are leveraging the latest technology. They do their marketing through developers, and that's awesome for us. Like it's a super opportunity. And so, what was that when we started? It was well, we're using uh, Caramel to do the background removal. And we did use like really early on in September of 2019, we used our ARKit APIs to remove the background to do some live preview of, of the photo. And so we got into, there is an accelerator in France in the biggest, like Station F is one of the biggest accelerator and Apple has a program there and we got in there and they helped us on like marketing and, uh, and business uh, during the summer. And we, and some tech workshop and in September we got massive uh, marketing from the, uh, using ARKit uh, three, I think, APIs. So I think our early days was marketing through uh, using the latest tech software and hardware from from Apple. And then where did it go from there? Yeah. So after after you've you've gotten some traction and some of those early customers, um, did you jump into paid user acquisition? And no. what's your balance of of, of paid to um, organic growth these days? Yeah, so we we got into we didn't do paid until like we really got traction on our on market fit so early 2020 and we started like to have some uh, we got Gary V tweeting about us like a video uh, from us so that was like a viral video demoing the app and we kind of I mean the thinking was if some videos of demoing Photoroom are viral uh, it probably works also as ads so we kind of use these uh, viral videos and try ads on that and we started ramping up i think uh, before yc uh, uh facebook ads so in april of last year and uh it kind of uh, yeah it was a good uh channel of acquisition for us and we always had in mind like we don't want to uh spend too much we wanted to have it under control but the payback was really good so we we kind of uh had a mix like uh, i don't know it was 30 70 maybe at that point and between uh between paid 30 percent paid and 70 percent on uh, organic and uh, yeah, organic. And so that we ramped that up. And I think it was a good time to test marketing. And we kind of uh, fastened that at that point because there was the COVID, uh, the beginning of the COVID, and all marketing was going down. So it was super cheap to try mm. stuff there. Yeah. So try to be opportunistic on that. And influencer had like a lot of time. So like all of that, we were at the right time and at the right moment for that, I guess. So how much like are you balancing? I mean, obviously, there's always so much you're balancing as a founder. Um, but, you know, how much are you thinking about investing back in the app and like broadening your appeal, making it better, new markets, like new new platforms versus like the scale it approach? Like how can we scale marketing and 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 continue to grow? Or is it like 
50 50 like do you have a top priority right now or or how is the like how is your your mind thinking about like your biggest growth levers yeah we try to try to have a higher uh, level kind of uh, priority so let's focus on retention or let's focus on this specific kind of users so, uh, in the us for just uh, three months and we try to align product and growth uh, on like uh, for three months of that and so that's kind of uh, uh that's yeah that's how we think about it with uh, elliot and uh, and try to have it on growth and on product and kind of put us to talk more to this kind of users so to improve on on for this kind of user just uh this niche for instance and uh, i don't know people selling on this marketplace for a month and then we'll see uh, maybe another niche and another country but still improve the experience for everyone i guess mm -hmm. And are you thinking about marketing in terms of like specific people selling on specifics like marketplaces? Like you're actually going like channel by channel that 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 closely. And does that inform like features or does that inform creative or how does that feed back into your process? Yeah, we're good. We're getting into that. Like we try to understand better by uh, persona and use case, what's the LTV and what the retention is. And I think we are at the scale where we start to do that. But before it was like a General, uh, general creative for everyone and kind of demo the value of the app. And we were super lucky that uh, all creative were working for that. And I think like now, like the way marketing works, it's uh, like uh, Facebook or Google are doing most of the optimization and you're more into like, what, how, how can I adapt my creative so that it fit the focus I want to do for, I don't know, for the US. So I'll be, uh, make sure you're in English or make sure if you're like looking at multiple countries, uh, try not to be too localized. I think there is a, Netflix calls that neutralize, or they have a specific wording on making the 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 artwork or the creative not too localized, not too English, for instance, mm -hmm. like uh, to use content that's good for everyone. So it's kind of uh, that dictate kind of what we try to do with growth and marketing. That's great. Well, I have a, a million more questions, but we do need to uh, to wrap up. Uh, we're going to put links into the uh, into the show notes uh, to find you on Twitter and LinkedIn and and. Photo Room is such a great name, easy to easy to Google, easy to find on the App Store. But you're also hiring. Uh, what what positions do you have open? You want to make a, a quick pitch to yeah. our uh, <laughs> the audience, lovely yeah. listeners? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, we're hiring a lot. Uh, we're hiring on uh, growth and paid acquisition. Uh, we're hiring a project designer, iOS developer, Android developer, and the way we think about the team is really to have a like we are ten and we have a strong impact to millions of users. So really leverage like a small team, high impact. And that's, I think it's possible because of apps. So we're looking for really senior people uh, for that and mostly in Europe. So we have like a, a two, three days a month uh, in the Paris HQ, but uh, you can work from anywhere in Europe time zone. Yeah, and I'll, I'll second that the, I think working on this product would be really interesting based purely based on my insider knowledge as an investor <laughs> and your friend. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but, but, but for real, I mean, a lot of apps don't, you know, get to this point, you've got a lot of tailwinds. And I think actually the, the, the upsides are go far beyond the app store. Right. And, and the future is very, very, very big and you guys are ambitious. So, uh, take these jobs. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were like thinking be everywhere. We start with mobile, but we're in like, like we're mobile first, not mobile only. And we have the web app, the web tool that we launched last week. We have an API uh, for any developer that wants to remove the background with Photoroom attribution. And we already have the Mojo folks using it. So it's really, uh, I think, I mean, we want to be close to the entrepreneurs, like doing photos. And we want to uh, communicate through do pro images that sell. And so sometimes it's not an app, it's just a Photoroom button. And, and so you can use the API for that. And uh, so, yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty great. When you, have, when you have a good product market fit, it just gets really fun. 
Yeah, and we have that kind of now that we have uh, money, we kind of uh, we have like super smart people in the machine learning team, so we have the best tech on market to do that, and that's super exciting. Like we're shipping like new machine learning next, I think next week, and it's going to be awesome. Like I can't wait to see the result on the analytics. That's amazing. And ten people. I, I thought you were bigger. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you want to be. You want to be fifteen or twenty with all the postings you have. That's why I'm really bullish on this market, David. A small yeah. team can do a yeah. lot of stuff in this space. It's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. It is crazy. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, it was great chatting, and thanks for sharing your insights, Matt. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to catch up again in two years. See how see how it's going. Yeah, of course, with pleasure. Thank you, guys. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.